Hello, friends. Welcome back to part two of our series, Home for Christmas. Now, last week, we looked at the great Christmas story as it is written in the Gospel of Luke, the good news brought to us by Luke. And we found that when God entered history, there was a lot of fear. There was military occupations. Politics were all out of whack. Religious institution was failing people. There was just a mess in the world. And what we found in the message of the story last week was that we actually didn't need to fear despite of all that mess because God had come to rescue us, all of us. He didn't arrive to punish or to make things fair, but to rescue and to save us. And I wondered about that particular part of the story, the part how much of our fear is actually tied around the idea of fairness. And what I mean here is the idea that life should be fair, You know that idea, if we do our part, that is, if we do our part, then we should get what we deserve. You know what I mean? Like life should be fair. I mean, have you ever been in a situation where you have a plan to go out? You know, you're you're planning to go hang out with your friends and uh, and it kind of falls on the day that doesn't work for the rest of your family. How about I make this hypothetical situation? I'll just make this up, you know, like just, I'll just make it up. Like you really want to go out and play hockey with your friends. But it's kind of on a family night. It's going to be on Saturday, Saturday evening. So to make things fair, all week you clean the house, you do dishes, you go above and beyond what you normally do. You set the stage for a fair exchange. Actually, more than fair and gracious exchange, right? I mean, this is hypothetically speaking. I'm clearly making this up. So you do all this stuff. You go up above and beyond And you're creating a debt-free relationship. You're creating a fair exchange, extra help, going the extra mile. You do all these things so that it's fair when you go out. And after all, your spouse can have a peaceful evening to herself, right? Again, I'm making this up. Or how about this example? How about, and if your parents, maybe you can connect with this story. When you come home and the house is like really clean, And the kids' rooms are spotless. And they are setting the dinner table for you. And they're just going way and beyond what they normally do. And they're super polite. And they're they're getting along so wonderfully. What's the first thought you have? Uh Uh-oh, what did they do? Or, Or maybe, what do they want? And maybe even, where's the cat? Maybe this is just me. I mean, we live in a world that is dictated by if you do something for someone, you expect something in return. Isn't that true? And in this pandemic, for me, if I'm honest, has brought a lot of this fairness conversation up to my mind. In fact, it's made me frustrated a lot of times. It reminded how deeply rooted we are, how deeply rooted I am in transactional relationships we are living in, right? Now, and I don't know if pandemic has done this for you, but for me, I have had thoughts like, I'm doing my part. I'm wearing a mask. I'm social distancing. I'm washing my hands. I'm not going out unless it's essential. Then why are my kids paying for people who are going out and having parties? Why are their sports and their activities being punished? It's not fair. Those people, whoever that is, they're not doing their part and they're not being punished. This is really unfair. Why would things go the way I don't want them to go? 
After all, I've done my part. I am doing my part, which means I shouldn't have to suffer. My family shouldn't have to suffer. Now, I don't know if you thought about things like that, but I have. Transactional living, it's steeped deeply in us, isn't it? Or maybe the opposite of these examples. And this, this example often happens around Christmas time, actually. Let's say you go to a Christmas party. What's the worst thing that can happen at Christmas time at a Christmas party? Someone gets you a gift and you didn't get them one. I mean, what do you do in that moment? Oh my goodness, they thought of me, they brought me a gift and I didn't get them anything. What do you do? Well, you lie, right? You say things like, oh, I forgot your gift. Oh, I'm sorry, it's just at home. I'll get it, it's in the mail, it's coming. We tend to want to balance things out. Something in us wants the transactions to be accurate and on par. We want fairness. There's so much in us that wants to, to even the score. We don't want to owe anyone anything. We don't want to be owned anything or have anything held over us by someone. We don't want that. We want things to be fair. Now, the only problem with this kind of thinking, this transactional way of seeing the world, you know, this way that we bring into every sphere of life, the only problem with it is when we bring it into our relationship with God. Now, whether you have been a Christian a long time or you're just trying to find him in the midst of this pandemic, or maybe you've been seeking him for quite a while, or maybe you're just, just curious about God. Now, wherever you are in that spectrum, I believe we can't help but to bring that understanding of fairness to God. There's something in me and there's something in you that wants to bring part of that fair deal to God, right? You know what I mean. When you pray, when you ask, when, you, when you're thinking about God, when you're thinking to God, when you search for him, you and I tend to bring fairness to God. We, think, we say things like, well, well, God, remember I did that good thing? I bought that coffee for the person behind me at Tim Hortons. I paid it forward. Or remember, God, it's almost Christmas time, so I will go to church. Don't worry, I will do that. Or maybe we bargain about fairness with God by reminding him that you already went to church this year, at least once for sure. Or you logged on online service. So you say things like, God, I'm doing my part. Look, I did this. So because I did this, I'm now asking, I'm now praying, I'm now hoping you would do this one thing for me. Because, well, I have done my part. I'm one of the good guys, God. God, I'm not asking for something free. This is just fair. I'm doing my part. I mean, sure, your gift that I'm asking for is bigger, but come on, you're God. I can only do so much. I'm bringing something to your table, though. It's not like it's for nothing. And even if we don't say these things, we tend to think them. We tend to think in this transactional reality of life. And it's a thread that runs through this, our subconscious. So because of how we understand fairness and transactional relationships, consciously or subconsciously, we come to God often based on two scenarios, both rooted in fairness. One is we say, look, God, I have done my part. I bought that coffee. I did the dishes. I shoveled the snow for my neighbor. Or the second one, we acknowledge that we should have done our part and we will do it soon. So because I will do it eventually, God, could you do this one thing for me? 
And so this transactional lens makes us assume that God views us through this lens as well, of how good we're doing. So we check boxes. And we tend to bring that understanding of who we are and what we do or should do into our relationship with God. And even those of us who grew up in the church believe that this is actually an exchange system, that this is actually part of our faith, that this is actually how God works. I mean, there's a whole thing in the Bible of blessings and curses. It seems to be transactional action from God. And so I should do a bunch of things and then maybe God will hear me. Or better yet, listen to me. And we tend to carry a lot of that into our life. And we have a good reason to do it. Because we see that in life, transactional realities seem to work. We even call them karma. So whether we are seeking God, believing God, are curious about God, we tend to bring this transactional reality to our participation with God. I'll do this, God, or I will try to do this, God, or one day I will do this, God. If, you, if, if I do, and when I do, maybe then you can do something for me as well. But then, but then, friends, you read the Christmas story. And look, I want to be really honest. A lot of us in Canada and the West have grown up with some version of the Christmas story. That it's, you know, it's about gift giving and, uh, and giving is more important than receiving. That it's a holiday of good cheer and on and on and on. And all those things are really good and true and important. It is really good stuff. And many of us know that story. But friends, I want to suggest that we have missed the message of that story. What I want us to pick up on today is that the message of the story is so much more than that. That if understood, it will transform and revolutionize our perception of the world. And if we let it, it will transform all of our relationships. Because the message of the Christmas story is radical and powerful. One that God has been leading us, he's been leading us into from the beginning of time. A message that is incredibly different than the transactional story we live in today. So I want to read the story again today. And we're going to focus on one word in this story. Because this one word is the pivotal, foundational, and most important part of the story that God has been pointing to from the moment humanity stepped outside the presence of God. And you know the word. You have heard it so many times, whether you're a church person or not. I guarantee you have heard it, you have seen it, you have said it, you have sung it, and you have ignored it. This word is spoken so often, it doesn't even register with us because it is so closely tied to the Christmas story. Now, we find this one word in Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 8. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. And we talked about this fear last week. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Not because of what they have done, not because one group did this and the other group didn't do this, but for all people. This is going to be good news. Today, in the town of David, and here's our word, a savior, not a politician, not a helper, not a coach, not a fundraiser, not a military hero, not a guru, 
but a savior has been born. He's been born to you. He's the Messiah, the Lord. See, when God looked at humanity and as he looked at what was happening, he saw that the world doesn't need a self-help coach, didn't need another political leader. What the world needed was saving. Do you see the magnitude of what, what this means? God saw that we need to be saved. There was nothing we could do to get out of the mess we're in. The cycles of abuse, the repeated dysfunctions, the continued brokenness. And so God sent a savior. And this wasn't a transactional act. Oh, they've done enough, they've suffered enough, or they've done enough good now, or they paid their debt, they suffered long enough. No, God looked and saw that we needed saving. There's nothing we could do to earn it. God, in other words, said, I'm making an announcement and it has nothing to do with trading, purchasing, nothing to do with buying, performing, exchanging. I'm sending a savior to save you. Even before you realize it. Even before you realize you need saving. I'm going to save you. Before you even know you need it. Before you even understand it. Before you even accept it. I'm going to save you. <laughs> I remember uh, when I was a teenager, me and my buddy were at the beach and we were swimming and hanging out and doing all those things you do. And uh, about 40 yards out in the water, there was a floating dock. And everybody was swimming to the dock. Everybody was going there and everybody's hanging out. And we're like, hey, we got to get to this dock. And I, I'm a pretty good swimmer. I took swimming lessons since I was little and I'm a good swimmer. My friend, on the other hand, is the only person I know that sinks like a rock. Like he can just, he can't swim. We've tried everything. You know, the things where you be a starfish or whatever on the water and you'll be floating, you'll be buoyant. Nope, just like a rock. It's the only person I know that just anti-water. I don't, I don't get it. So I said, okay, well, I'm a pretty good swimmer. It's about 40 yards. We'll be okay. Just hang on to my shoulder. Don't panic. Just swim. We'll be okay. Just hang on. and I'll be all right. So we started swimming. And it worked for about, you know, the 15 yards for the first little part. And then my friend began to panic. He began to fear and get scared and began to press on me and began to drown me. And at first, I didn't realize I needed saving. It seemed funny. This is my friend. I just told him, relax. We, got, we did 15 yards. We got, what, 25 yards ahead of us? We're okay. And I was laughing. I didn't even know I needed saving till the moment where I was gasping for air because my friend was drowning me. It was in that moment my cousin happened to swim by because she saw the commotion and swam by and grabbed him by his other arm. And with two of us, I was able to grab air and we were able to swim him to the dock. I didn't know I was going to drown. I didn't know I would need saving. There's nothing that I could earn to do that. Friends, God saw the world drowning and sent a savior. God sent someone to bail us out of the mess we were creating, participating in, or suffering under. And there was nothing we could do to earn that. That is why it's good news for all people. A savior who is the Messiah, the Lord, was sent from God. Friends, this is such a pivotal and crucial part of the message of the Christmas story that it wasn't a transactional act. It was a saving act. And when we begin to see it as such, that God comes to save us, when we begin to see and understand that the character of God is not about fairness, his character is so much better than that. 
The character of God is all about generosity. When we begin to position our understanding of God as Savior, this new lens of viewing who God is will transform all of our relationships forever. It will change how you see the world. It will change you forever in the most radical way. Your transactional lens will be adjusted. And if your transactional lens is adjusted, it will no longer be about what have they done for me lately. It will be how can I care and love for others despite the fact they don't deserve it. Because that is how God sees me and treats me. Because that is exactly how God entered the world to save us. Now, I know that for some of us, we hear the word Savior and we reply with, okay, yeah, that sounds really good. I know, I know. I, I've been in church forever. I heard the story before. I heard the word so many times. And because of that, we become numb to the word Savior. But this is such an important and pivotal word that we need to grasp and understand. If you and I have not come to grips that you and I need saving, a savior then becomes just another boring word or worse, a nuisance. Friends, until you get there, until you realize and embrace the reality that you, that I, need saving, this word savior won't carry any power, won't carry the power it intends to carry and we will miss the meaning of the Christmas message. It will just be another seasonal word we use. It will be boring. And it means nothing to us because we have everything we need. And we've earned it. We've paid for it. We traded for it. We are our own self-made person. Until, of course, things fall apart. Until the spouse leaves. Until your child is sick. Until you lose that job. Until you go bankrupt until you can't seem to pay enough, exchange enough, trade enough to get out of that problem. You see, some of you right now, you believe you don't need saving. You believe you're just fine. And look, I'm just going to be really blunt and honest with you today. And I'm going to say you need saving. Not someday, not someday in heaven or eternity. I'm telling you, you need it now. Because you can't save yourself now from stuff anyways. I mean, let's be honest. How many of you have some habits you would like to be saved from? Be honest. How many of you have a habit you would like to be saved from? Can you save yourself from it? Some of you have anger issues. And you've been trying to break anger for years. And you can't save yourself from anger. How are you going to save yourself for eternity? Friends, you need saving. Some of you have alcohol issues, drug issues. You need saving. Some of you have money issues, morality issues, thought life issues. You can't save yourself from these things now by yourself. I mean, every time we look in the mirror, we see ourselves aging and dying. Every time we look in the mirror, we are reminded that we need saving. There are things in life I can't save myself from. Life is a daily reminder that we need saving now. And look, friends, God is patient. He's better than fair. He's kind and generous. He doesn't interfere. He doesn't force himself on you. He waits patiently. And that's the paradox about God. 
He knows you need saving. But God will not force saving on you until you realize you need it, until you realize that you can't grasp, gasp any more air and you're drowning and you scream out for help to be saved. And the moment you do, God says, I'm there. I love this quote by Rick Warren, who once said, you don't need a savior because you might die tonight. You need a savior because you have to live tomorrow. Look at all the troubles we carry each day. You mean to tell me you don't need saving from them? Friends, we need a savior. Not out of fear or scare tactics, but because we need to live. This is why Christianity understood through the message of Christmas, not the story of Christmas, but the message of Christmas is so liberating. Because the message of Christmas is the relationship between the saved and the savior. The rescued and the rescuer. The relationship between the delivered and the deliverer is unlike any other relationships. It's powerful. And you can't help but to adjust your lens from transactional living to transformed living. You can't help it. Because someone saved you when you needed it the most. Because when someone comes along and saves you from something awful, like someone saves your marriage, someone saves you from addictions, when someone saves you from debt, there's an unfiltered emotion and unsolicited devotion. You just feel it and know it. And you live in gratitude and thankfulness to the one who saved you. And you can't help but share how, with others how you were drowning, how you were once lost, once losing it all, but you were saved. You change your lens of, I guess I should do something good so that God could give me something good too. That's not the Christian message, friends. And yet so many of us come to God thinking about laws and rules and the things you have to do or ought to do because that would be fair and because we still think through transactional relationships. But that would miss the message of Christmas. And it would mean you, would, you have never come face to face to reality that there is a savior who wants to save you because you need it. Not because it's fair. Not because you've done enough or earned enough, but because you need it. And friends, that's why we gather in person or online to remind each other that we need saving, but also to share our saving stories. Because so many of us in our darkest moments, called out and were saved. And we didn't deserve it. And we didn't earn it. And it wasn't fair. And yet we yelled out, help! And God saved us. That's why if you're new and, and if you were to come to our building when we are allowed to gather, and you would see people listening or singing, and you would see tears running down their cheeks, or huge smiles on their faces. It's not because God was fair to them or to us, but because God saved us when it all seemed to be lost and gone. And those words and songs and in stories remind us of the pain we were in, the darkest moments of our life, the loneliest moments of our life. And we called for a Savior, and He showed up. And in ways we didn't expect, but He showed up, and He saved us. God sent a savior and he saved us but bring us home. A home for which we were created for from the beginning. 
God saved us from the mess and brought us into his presence. Before we knew it, before we even understood it, before we even knew what this was all about, God knew we would need saving. So he showed up as a savior. Friends, the message of Christmas is that God sent savior. And our first step is to acknowledge that I need a savior. Would you take this moment now? Would you pray? Would you ask? Would you yell? Would you say? Would you acknowledge to God that you want to come home? That you need a savior? Would you acknowledge that you are tired of trying to save yourself? Tired of bargaining and bartering? That you need him to save you now? Would you take this moment to do that? Go ahead. Ask God now. God, I need a savior. Would you type in, the, in our chat bar? Would you connect with one of our prayer requests? Would you let us know so that we can pray with you? Because friends, God waits and he's kind and patient and generous. He doesn't force himself on us, but he does know that we need a savior. Would you read the Luke passage with me again? But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. Would you join me in prayer? God, we thank you that you show up right where we ask. In the moment when we feel everything's collapsing on us and we're not sure where to go or what to do, that you show up as a Savior. That the world and the way things are broken and fallen and things don't go the way we want, that you know they can only be fixed through you and in you. And so you show up to save us. So God, forgive us when we forget that we need you, that we need saving. Forgive us when we think we could do it all on our own or we can manage it or, or we, we're so smart or so strong or so able. Forgive us when we think that way. God, would you save us? Would you rescue us? Thank you for that gift. Thank you for that offering and thank you for that message of the story that you showed up as a savior. Thank you, God, for that. We praise in your name. Amen.